Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Good morning. Is my mic all right? Sweet. All right, well, first things first this morning, I wanted to just take a second and thank you all for the support that you've given Hannah and I the last few weeks. Um, It's been awesome to see the way that you loved on our family. Uh, You've loved us through gifts, through meals, through visits and company, through lots of prayer, and I just wanted to thank you for loving us so well. Uh, for being the body of Christ, this very thing that we've been talking about the last couple weeks, what it means to be members of one another, Hannah and I have felt that in a very real, tangible way for the last, last month or so. So just thank you so much for that. Um, just really appreciate it. It definitely makes us feel at home um, to be part of uh, the community of the Spirit that we've been talking about. Uh, we were actually going to have... At, Henry in here with us this morning. He is in the comments, so if you want to mob Hannah after service, now she's hearing this and she's ready to know that there'll be a wave, but uh, we'll, we'll introduce him to you all at, at some point. So uh, about this time last year, actually, it's, it's been a while, we started this series, The Fullness of Life, right? Based on John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill and to, to, to sorry, let's start that over. The thief comes to kill, still, (laughs) whoo, it's one of those days, you're going to have to bear with me through this one, no, okay, here we go, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, right, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, man, that is not that difficult to get through. Throughout this, this series that we've been in, we've, we've talked about abiding in Christ. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, warfare of the Spirit, right? It's been a very all-encompassing series that we've been in. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be the community of the Spirit. We've been spending time each week uh, diving into the one another passages of the Bible. And there's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. We're not going to hit all of them in our series uh, if you're new with us this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you want to hear the rest of this series, to go back to September 11th on the YouTube page where the series starts. We've talked about being members of one another. We've talked about welcoming one another, like the idea of hospitality. We've talked about admonishing one another. Some of those things are very difficult <laughs> to do well. Uh, So Pastor Chad had a great word on each of those topics, so go ahead and go back to those if you missed any of them. But this week we're going to be diving into two statements that come from Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 10. But before we get there, I just want to step back just a few verses and open to Romans 12. Uh, If you want to follow along, I'll give you a second to get there. We're going to be looking at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, and then 9 through 10. So I'll give you a second to, to open up there. And in just a moment, we're going to see that, that Paul starts chapter 12 with the words, in view of God's mercy. 
or by the mercies of God, depending on, on what translation you have. And he's referring to what he wrote in chapters 1 through 11. Right? In view of your sin, in view of God's salvation, in view of your sanctification, and in view of God's sovereignty. Those, those things speak into the rest of chapters 12 through 16. So where we're focusing at this morning in 12, you kind of have to have those things in mind. In view of our sin, God's salvation, your sanctification, and God's sovereignty. So without first understanding what, what Paul says in Romans 1 through 11, it really doesn't make sense to do anything that you hear in Romans chapter 12 through 16. Right? When you think about human nature, who wants to set their desires aside? Who wants to sacrifice their will for God's will? Who wants to, to set themselves aside and let somebody else pilot the vehicle, right? That's just not something that comes natural. So before understanding who God is and what, his, what he's done for us, what his love means for us, the answer is likely zero of us would want to do that. Living according to God's will is by far the best option for our lives, but it's not the easiest option. So I want to encourage you, if you've not read Romans 1 through 11 before, go ahead and take a second later today, this week, to just read through 1 through 11 because it really speaks about everything that God has done. It informs why it's important that we live according to the rest of the scriptures, where we find ourselves today in Romans chapter 12. So Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2, one through two says, I, pe- I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is calling us to a big task. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's, that's no small challenge. He wants us to wake up every day and make the decision to live in service and as worship to God, which isn't easy. Because I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning... <laughs> My first thought is generally more about getting up, getting dressed, and getting Emerson out the door to daycare without losing my patience. <laughs> I'm just not a morning person. That's my, my goal, is just to get out the door in a good mood. <laughs> but something that I'm realizing as I get a little older and, and hopefully more mature is that mornings are a time that I need to take advantage of before the workday gets started and before the world is moving at 100 miles an hour, I need to reset and refocus on what's important. Right? The point that I'm getting at is Paul wants us to view 100% of our life as an opportunity to worship God. And part of the challenge is found in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed comes from the same word that we get the word metamorphosis from. We're not talking about a change that is surface level. We're not talking about a change that only happens in appearance. This is something that comes from that change that we talk about at baptism, right? 
being dead and buried to sin, but then raised to newness of life in Christ. The transformation that Paul is speaking of is a change that happens at the heart and grows outward, likely causing a change in appearance in the way that we live. But the transformation begins with the inner working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Paul continues to write Romans 12, he begins to lay out exactly what that looks like. What does it look like to present ourselves as sacrifices? What does it look like to be transformed? We talked about verses 3 through 8 when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm not going to pause there, uh, but just you know, remember that we've been given different gifts of the Spirit that are meant to operate in community, building the body to reach the fullness of Christ and to be a true representation of His goodness here on earth. But we're going to pick up this morning at Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's the first half. Let's just pause there for a minute. That very first sentence would actually be better translated if it said, genuine love is, or love is genuine when, and then the next 11 verses or so are these adjective phrases describing what makes love genuine. So as verses 3 through 8 explain that the gifts of the Spirit are given to us individually for the mutual edification of the body, Paul is now talking about characteristics that are expected of all members of the body because love is a fruit of the Spirit that is part of abiding in Christ. Remember, we talked about that when we talked about abiding in Christ, that when we abide, we produce fruit. We produce fruit that represents who Christ is. So love is a fruit of the Spirit that is a part of abiding in Christ. Apart from abiding in Christ, none of the things that Paul challenges us to are really possible. Amen. So let's pick that back up at verse 10. And it says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This week is a, it's a two-for-one special, right? We've got to buy one, get one on one another phrases. I hope that you came expecting to get a lot this morning, hopefully. Uh, you probably came expecting one, but you're going to leave with two this morning. Love one another with brotherly affection. What does Paul mean? Love one another with brotherly affection. Now, I don't know about the rest of the men in the room, but that seemed like kind of an odd phrase to me when I read it at first, because I know my brother and I's version of brotherly affection for a long time was more like, you know, we'd finish beating the tar out of each other, and one of us would say, you know, give him a slap on the back, just, you good? And the other one would be, yeah, yeah, sweet, and you know, fist bump and you move on, right? That was the extent of our brotherly affection, and I'm fairly sure that's not what Paul is talking about. <laughs> so what does Paul mean by love one another with brotherly affection? This idea of brotherly love is so important, and it's not something that we always do well. But if it, it was so important that the book of First John mentions it almost, almost every chapter, right? It's mentioned so frequently that some people refer to First John as the book of brotherly love. So here are some of the things that John has to say about love. 
2, 10 through 11. 1 John 2, 10 through 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 4.7, Belove, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 11.12, beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfect in us. In 4, 19 through 20, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's easy to hear the phrase, love one another with brotherly affection and, and kind of just gloss over and say to ourselves, yeah, I can check that box. I understand that I'm supposed to, to love people, right? I know, I know. And then just kind of leave it at that. But it's so much more important than just saying, yeah, it's important to love each other. It takes a real transma transformation of the heart and of the mind that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. Remember in 12.2, Paul calls us to not be conformed to the world but, by the but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. The world tells us that it's okay to just love those that we agree with, to put up with those that we don't, or to avoid, or fight with, or make a life a pain for those that we don't get along with. The world tells us that love is a feeling that you can fall in and out of. The world tells us that love should be easy, and if it doesn't come easy, it's not worth fighting for. Which I find kind of interesting. You know, on one hand, the world is telling us to put hundreds, if not thousands of hours into getting good at the thing that you want to do with your life. Sports, music, art, law school, med school, tech school, whatever it might look like. But when it comes to relationships between people, if it doesn't come easy, it's probably not worth it. How does that make sense? How can we belittle the one part of God's creation that's said to be made in God's image so much? How can we look down on relationships and value people so little that we'd rather focus on hobbies and work more so than on creating community, which is something we're meant to do? And I think that's part of this transformation of the mind, right? Relationships are tough. They're hard. There are all sorts of factors at play. Some of them are obvious factors, and other things are, are hidden and subconscious, and we really don't know what is causing rifts and tension and conflict. 
Maybe it's something that we don't even know how to voice. But the renewed mind pursues brotherly affection regardless. And we're not talking about greeting each other with a holy kiss on Sunday morning or anything like that. We're talking about the love of a healthy family. Right? And I know that not everybody has had that experience of a loving family that's unquestionably supportive, but that's exactly what we're talking about. And Paul does a great job in 1 Corinthians 13 of explaining exactly what love is. Right? It's probably a verse you've heard before, even if you don't know it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And part of me wonders if because we've used that scripture so much at weddings or in movies, that it's been made into this romantic gesture. It makes me wonder if we've elevated it to be a component of the romantic love that we've for some reason reserved only for our spouses, when in fact, that love that Paul describes is intended to be the love that we share with everybody who calls themselves a Christian. I think at some level, I had subconsciously reserved that degree of love only for those who are closest to me. To be patient, to not envy, to not boast, to let other people win the argument. And it makes me wonder if that's why we find it hard to define what it looks like to love those who sit next to us every Sunday morning. The world looks at 1 Corinthians 13 as an ideal for romance, not for a community. The world looks at the definition and it sees it as an ideal for romance, not for a community. But in, in order for biblical community to be truly united, truly one, where there is brotherly affection for one another, that's the standard that we need to measure ourselves against. It's a high calling. It takes work. It takes the presence and the reliance on the Holy Spirit. The second half of verse 10 says this, outdo one another in showing honor. When I was looking at all the different one another passages that I could choose from, that's the one that stood out the most to me. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you think of an idea that's more countercultural than outdoing one another in honor right now? Dishonoring each other is everywhere you look whether it's in political ads, which rarely reference what a politician wants to do for us, but instead points at what the other person has done wrong or what they think will make them look the worst. You know, you think about baseball. I don't know about you. I love baseball. Baseball used to have these unwritten rules of conduct, things that you were allowed and not allowed to do, and part of that was respecting the game and your opponent. Now, one of the things that characterizes games is who is able to most show up their opponent while they trot around the bases after a home run or they walk off the field after striking out the side. Who can, can shame their opponent the most? It's everywhere. Dishonoring each other and honoring ourselves over others is everywhere we look. 
The word for outdo is proegeomai. Proegeomai, which means to go before, to show the way, to lead, or to go before as a leader. It can also be translated as to give preference to. The world pays lip service to honoring each other. Some of the major cultural agendas right now pay lip service to honoring people who are different from ourselves. And some of those things come from a great place and are achieving some great things. But it seems like more often than not, and maybe this is maybe a little bit cynical view of this, but it seems like more often than not, it's just lip service. When it comes right down to it, most people are trying to get everything they can for themselves, even if it's at the expense of someone else. If the world tells us that we should seek to be honored, that if we're not receiving the credit we're due, then quit and go somewhere that will treat you or give you the credit that you deserve. The world sees honoring others as a means to an end. Honor each other because it'll make your teams more effective, you'll produce more, and in the end, you'll receive more honor. The world takes so many things that are meant to be good and distorts them to improve itself. And sometimes those distortions are blatant and obvious, and other times they're small and seemingly insignificant until they build and build and grow on each other. The renewed, transformed mind that's empowered by the Spirit sees honor from another perspective. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're not talking about a false humility. We're not talking about not receiving honor. And I think that's part of the key to understanding what this idea of outdoing one another in honor is about. Honor from the Christian perspective looks like intentionally viewing Christian brothers and sisters through a perspective that is inclined to seeing the good, that's quick to give grace, that's quick to honoring the good, no matter how small it seems or how large it seems, rather than comparing others to our accomplishments and then honoring them only if we deem their accomplishments greater than ours. Right? That's not what it's about. It's not, it's not about making less of ourselves, but making more of others. If we look at, at all of life as a living sacrifice, then it become, begins to become so much easier to recognize every honorable thing that somebody does with respect and reverence because we see it as an act of worship. And I think that is something that we can all respect and that we can get on board with, right? If we look in every good and perfect thing, no matter how small and insignificant it may seem, when we view those as an act of worship, how, how could we not want to encourage people in that? How could we not want to celebrate that? It's a good thing. And it's that we're seeking those moments to honor one another. Not that we have to make less of ourselves or 
have this false humility that says we're not as good as other people. It's about making other people more than ourselves. So what does all of this look like in application, right? That idea of how then shall we live? The first thing is very simple, and it comes from that Romans 12, 1 through 2. Prep yourself to give your life as a spiritual act of worship. Right? None of these things that we're talking about in these one another passages, whether it's found right here in Romans or it's somewhere else in the Bible, none of those things is going to be easy if we're not first prepared, if we haven't prepped ourselves So what would it take for you to place yourself in a frame of mind to see every moment of life as an opportunity to be lived to glorify God as an act of worship? For me, like I said, that means getting up a little earlier. It means taking the time to to wake myself up so that I'm not impatient with the kids in the morning. So I'm not on the verge of being on the edge and irritable Right? It's not getting up a significant amount earlier even for me. It's just getting up with a little bit of margin. Right? I'm, a, I'm a night owl, so there's plenty of opportunity for me to get my quiet time, to do my devotions, and to read. I don't need to cause or get more margin for that. That's going to happen. I know that. But an extra five to ten minutes for me to get ready and wake up rather than waking up at the last possible moment, rushing to get Emerson up and then being on the verge of being late means that I'm more likely to start my day off on the right foot. That's what it looks like for me to prep myself, to present myself as a living sacrifice. It's just a small tweak. So what does prepping yourself to be a sacrifice look like? Maybe for you it's that you do need that quiet time. Maybe it's turning the radio off in the car and having some silence to think or replacing whatever you usually listen to with worship music. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's writing down that verse that is a constant reminder of God's goodness. Maybe it's writing this one down, right? By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Maybe you just need to write that down and put it someplace where you're going to see it every day. But whatever that is, what does it look like for you to prep yourself to live life as a spiritual act of worship? The second, love according to 1 Corinthians 13. When someone is telling you that same story at church that they told you last week and the week before that and the week before that, and they seem to forget, have, got, have forgotten your name again, are you patient and attentive anyways? Do you, do you find yourself envying the things that God's given your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to steward? Take a moment and pray about it. Do you find yourself boasting to prove your worth or putting yourself over someone else? Ask for forgiveness for that. Do you find yourself being arrogant or rude with people regularly? Maybe take the time to seek to listen more before speaking or try, or try seeing things from their perspective. Right? And that's just to name a few. But go back through 1 Corinthians 13 and what does it look like for you to love accordingly to that? There's probably within that some that we do really well naturally and others that maybe don't characterize us at all. 
What does it look like to love according to 1 Corinthians 13? Three, go out of your way to love each other throughout the week. We're not called to love just on Sunday morning. That's not love. That's tolerance. That's like a mindset that says, I'll tolerate your company a while because we're like-minded on a few things. But once we leave, I've got my own life, my own friends, my own things to do, and you're really of no concern to me. As Christians, we need to learn to love each other more than that, to foster those relationships that we have here at church. Like I said, Hannah and I have felt such love, such true Christian love these last few weeks in abundance. This is a love that should characterize us on a regular basis. Are we looking out for opportunities to love each other, to pick each other up when people are down, to celebrate each other when things are going really well? Right? How do we love each other regularly? Number four, love Christians from other churches. Churches have divided over all sorts of issues throughout the church or throughout the years, right? And Discover First Baptist just a few weeks, uh, last weekend actually, we talked about what it means to be a Baptist and how Baptist churches have so many different offshoots uh, and how that's happened because of different divisions that have happened over the years. There are dozens of other churches meeting right now here in Cadillac, McBain, Pine River, in this area. Most of those churches really are Christians, believe it or not. (laughs) And we'd agree if we look closely on the core principles of Christianity, and I think we'd likely find out that the things that we disagree on are more secondary issues. We need to set our differences aside during the week and present a united front to the world that shows what it means to be part of a loving family of God. Even if we don't worship together on Sunday mornings, we can get along more than get along, we can love each other through the week, and that will speak volumes to the world. Amen. And the fifth thing, make a practice of honoring someone every week. Every day would be even better, but start at a place that's attainable for you, right? Maybe honoring someone every week is too difficult. Go for every... No, that shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> every week... Let's get it down to every day. How do we honor each other every day? Like while I was writing, one of the people who came to my mind as honoring others was Tom Brady. Not because he has a Christian perspective on it, but there's something that he gets about elevating the people around him, right? Even though he's probably the greatest quarterback of all time, and I know that's a debate for another day, but 10 Super Bowl appearances and seven wins makes a pretty good case for itself. Even though he's probably the greatest of all time, he's not the highest paid quarterback in the league. He's 16th. He's only paid more than four other quarterbacks per year. It's because he understands that by getting paid a lower salary, he can surround himself with with better players, which elevates the team as a whole. Now Brady does it because he wants to win Super Bowls. But the principle is just as true within the Christian community as well. When we honor each other over ourselves, it elevates the entire community. We're able to better represent Christ to the world around us. We're able to be ambassadors. We're able to show that light, right? The light that we're called 
to be in, in the darkness shines through a bit brighter, and the church becomes a welcome place that people want to belong to instead of a place where they feel like they have to belong to if they want to be a Christian. We're intended to do life in community, to be members of one another. I liked what, what Chad said the first week, right? That word one another is alone. We're not meant to do life, or we're meant to do life alone, not all alone. It makes it pretty simple to remember, right? But it's so true. We are not meant to do life in isolation. We're meant to be together, loving one another with brotherly, brotherly affection and outdoing one another in honor. Amen. Those are great ways to help this community grow. And all of the other things that we're going to talk through through this series are great ways to help our community grow, our family grow as one. That's all I've got written. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time on the clock, but man, this is just... When community, when community does community well, it changes everything. Amen. This is speaking from my experience for the last, last month or so. When community does community well, it just makes it so much easier to get through your day. Now, I know for me, it's been super practical. Right? It's just a matter of when we get home with Emerson and we've got to do all the things and we've got two hours to do it and there's already a meal ready for us, man, we can just relax and be a family and enjoy our time together. That's what it looks like for me this last week. Community, your, you as a family has made it so much more possible for me to be a good husband, a good father, a good leader in my household. Right? That's what being members of one another does. That's just how it's applied for me. There's so many different ways that that applies through the, through the church. And man, if that was every day of every week, of every month, of every year, whew, I don't think the world would know what hit it. So just thank you again. <laughs> but just try to keep that in your forefront, the forefront of your mind, man, doing life together. Sometimes is a, is a struggle. Sometimes is a challenge. Sometimes means sacrificing time and doing things differently. But it's worth every single second. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing God. You have created us so intricately and so perfectly. You knew exactly what we would need. You knew that we would need community. You knew that we would have to do life together, not in isolation, but in relationship. And you've placed us here in a church this morning that wants to do relationship with one another. God, I pray that you would help us to continue connecting with one another, to welcome and to love I pray that you would open our eyes to see people who are on the margins, who haven't experienced that in such a tangible way yet. God, help us to see them. Help us to continue to fold people from the community into our family here at First Baptist Church. God, speak through us. 
love through us, honor through us. I pray this morning that as we go out this week, that everything we do, everything we say, would be a true representation of you, and that it would glorify you, bring honor to your name, and show the world yet another piece of who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.